Greetings, Internet friends. Welcome to Walking and Talking. This is Ben Bennett. This is the audio version of an episode that was originally recorded as a video, but I've transferred it over to this audio podcast format in order to offer you a more flexible way to engage with it, rather than staring at a YouTube video for four hours. You can now superimpose my rambling over whichever compatible experience you desire, whether it be driving, walking, scrubbing the mildew off the bathtub, or attending an important Zoom meeting. Please excuse the poor microphone technique of the early walking and talking episodes. I promise it does get better as the series goes on. Since this was originally a video, I might occasionally refer to some visual element that you're not seeing, but by and large, all of the relevant information is in the audio. Publishing walking and talking as an audio podcast in addition to YouTube does cost me extra time and money, so if you find yourself listening regularly, please do consider supporting me via Patreon at patreon.com slash Benjamin Bennett. I want to make these episodes with more frequency and quality, and you can be assured that even tiny amounts of money that you donate will go a very long way in making that possible, in part because I am an anti-consumerist tightwad who will maximize the utility of anything you donate. I do publish some exclusive patron-only content on my Patreon page if that's of any interest to you, but my first priority is to continue making this show free for everyone and without ads or promotions. So once again, please check out patreon.com slash benjaminbennett and consider chucking me at least a couple of bucks. Any questions, comments, or feedback can be emailed to me at sittingandsmiling at gmail.com. And believe me, I do really appreciate any thoughtful emails that I receive. It's a welcome counterweight to all the inane YouTube comments on my channel. I'll put these links in the show notes, and without any further blathering, let's get on to the long blather. Hello, my internet friends. Welcome back to Walking and Talking, the show where I walk and talk. Uh, I'm just kind of investigating in here what my immediate experience is and trying to narrate it. Physically, it's not an unpleasant experience. My body feels uh, some physical tiredness from uh, exercising, but it feels like tired, tired in a good way, in a slightly refreshing way. Because the weather is warm and pleasant, it contributes to a feeling of relaxation. But then I wonder. Beneath all that, is there uh, is there something a little more 
a little more uh, pertinent about this experience, something more fundamental about this experience that's going on. Then, then descriptors like that, like and maybe really more importantly is is not to talk about ideas like that about external things going on well I think these are elm samaras, they call them, these seed things. And you can put them in salad. They're not bad. So here I am, immediately engaging with, you know, the exterior world. When my goal, theoretically, is to direct my attention inward Until, until the the uh, inward and the outward merge into each other, and the the distinction becomes clearly false. So I guess I don't. Maybe I shouldn't worry about it. Bluebells. I talk about something like the elm samaras and I, I feel when I think about myself talking about stuff like that I feel a little tinge of embarrassment as if that's as if I've revealed some small aspect of my personality or identity to transcend personality and identity in this case but even when I say that I feel 
Also a tinge of embarrassment. Because that goal itself could be considered an aspect of my identity and personality. And also evidence of a dualistic understanding of things. Whereas someone who never even, you know, thinks about such things just doesn't have the problem. I was gonna say that, you know, maybe somebody who never thinks about trying to transcend identity. Maybe by never thinking about it, they in some way exist in a non-dual awareness, but I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure actually about that. It's certainly true that the non-duality of reality pervades their personality and, and everything about everyone and everything, but... Does everyone realize that to some extent? I tend to have this feeling like that kind of truth is in some sense readily available to anyone, to everyone. Or as if everyone knows it already in some way. I'm not sure. As if for anyone to realize it's more like remembering it. Like remembering something that you always knew. still seem to be talking about abstract ideas and uh, I'm continuing to feel I'm continuing to feel embarrassment now, maybe intense embarrassment about the quality of what I'm saying, both the content of it and the delivery of it, because they seem unfocused.
formed ideas. And I'm aware of this time passing. You know, the time my life is passing me by and so is yours right now. So is this time that's spent in a worthwhile manner? Is it worth spending time this way? You know, I guess it's interesting that we have the opportunity to even question that because a lot of the ways that we spend our time, we don't stop and question whether it's worthwhile, we just do it. And that seems fine. When the question isn't there, you're not worried about it. And so in that sense, you're not suffering in that, that way. So now I do this, um, walking and talking, this activity where continually I, I really question the value of it. And I experience emotionally some emotional pain a lot of the time, not all of the time. Maybe, maybe not even, maybe not even most of the time. But usually, in the first part of walking and talking, the beginning of it, and going into it for you know maybe an hour, an hour and a half, sometimes even two hours. Sometimes even three hours. I experience some difficulty, meaning like unpleasant emotions and kind of some extent of a painful, painful uh, reflection, self-reflection. Sometimes, maybe some part of myself is to some extent reframing that pain and difficulty as uh, productive 
pain and difficulty. Sometimes in the, in the moment of experiencing it, that's not really possible. And if it is possible to reframe it positively, and then that ends up alleviating that pain and suffering, is it, sti is it still a productive pain and suffering? Uh, I don't know. We don't necessarily need to equate pain and difficulty with productivity. They don't necessarily need to correlate. And it's not necessarily true that, or at least it's not self-evident to me that can't be productive without suffering and and that suffering itself isn't necessarily productive but I, I, I do have to acknowledge a very strong pattern that I always see repeated walking and talking wherein the difficulty experienced towards the beginning part no matter how profound it is and how deep and real it is does retroactively become meaningful and productive work usually in the latter part of the episode and it's almost like to the extent that I suffer in the beginning then I experience the opposite of that suffering and I, I feel certain fulfillment and positivity and you know I just I just feel I tend to feel the opposite of the feelings experienced in the first part and the second part both like opposite in terms of opposite in terms of the nature of the negative feelings and thoughts uh, but similar in intensity so that over the course of the four hours my emotional emotional topography tends to even out to zero it seems like that's not always true actually sometimes it might it sometimes it might seem a little more negative or a little more positive on average but often it seems to average out to something approximating neutrality 
and along with that emotional topography I can observe the change in the nature of the, my mental interpretation of you know anything the uh, how how I mentally interpret my experience and how I mentally relate to concepts of myself and my life will change drastically within an episode of walking and talking. And that serves to kind of illuminate you know just the the mind's continuing role in in creating a conception of the self and just how 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 changing and and like transitory that conception of the self is in a framework like this it's a long enough period of time with my activity limited to a narrow enough range and creating a certain commitment to some awareness of my thoughts which um, and emotions which is which is helped by the fact that they they are uh, recorded and made public you know the fact that Everything that I say is going to become public places some kind of impetus on me. Well, it just, you know, it just naturally gives me some, some more like awareness or self-consciousness consciousness of my thoughts. So that is an aid to me to to remain, you know, in this activity of uh, like mental reflexivity. 
for myself I have some kind of I guess I was I was gonna say commitment towards honesty about my thoughts but I'm not sure what that means exactly because I mean for me to be dishonest about my thoughts I would have to have I'd have to have some time to be able to you know contrive the lie about what I'm thinking so that I can you know express express one thing while actually thinking the other and to do to try and do that continuously for 4 hours is like would be very difficult uh, and and I also don't have any reason for that but then but then there's also the problem of, of honesty where it's like how how honest am I actually being with myself I'm not always sure because most of the time as soon as I say something I'm able to recognize either some fallacy in it or some partiality to its truth and recognize motivations behind it that could be self-aggrandizing or not only just self-aggrandizing but even even in a subtler way seeing the impetus behind my thoughts as being part of maintaining an identity a concept of identity <clears throat> that's more or less solid and and also is based upon my conception of society and based upon you know to some extent what I would my my imagined expectations of society and you know there's there's an interest here in upholding an image of myself that society might approve of or that at least satisfies certain moral rules uh, moral, moral guidelines or exemplify some uh, form of uh, social morality but so so that's like you know a characteristic of the of particular uh, content of 
my thoughts of within walking and talking. Characteristics of a lot of the thoughts, the things that I say. Those are characteristics that I notice that I the thing that's noticing, the me, the you know, my like proximate self, the, the self that I am identified with right now, the self that I would say is the I that's perceiving something. It keeps noticing characteristics of the things that I say and the things that I think. And disidentifying with them as as it notices them. And so I'm just saying like one of the one of the common characteristics that I am noticing of my thoughts is they're tending to uh, to to kind of um, to to present as like as uh, as morally good in 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 my imagined eyes of society. But as the process goes along and I disidentify more with that, you know, and I, I like, I notice that and then I feel that tinge of embarrassment, that embarrassment of, 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 uh, noticing these kind of subconscious, uh, motivations of of fitting into uh, social norms and widely accepted notions of morality as it goes on I just identify more and more with that I think that what starts to become more predominant is maybe a morality that is um, that is more like inherent to me as an individual if that's if that's such a thing like a uh, Uh, a, a more a more self-created notion of morality that's a little more in, that's that's more independent on the from the norms of society but at the same time is still a morality if, if it if you know just if it is a morality then it's inherently related to society at large it's really it's uh in relation to other people in the world, how to live with other people in the world. Here's a chair. 
I can't see what's broken about it yet. It's pretty plastic. That is, I start to uh, relate to the external, like social world, you uh, know, you know, from a, a more independently created morality than than a morality that's uh, that's a little bit more dictated by society itself. And then when I, <clears throat> I think what happens, you know, I, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm not sure if I'm actively engaging in this yet. I might just be remembering I think what happens next is that as I as I start to inv investigate that independently moral way of relating to the world I start to disidentify with with that and maybe start to disidentify with altogether or maybe what happens is that realm of the moral that is that realm of relating to others in the world starts to merge with the realm of the aesthetic that is like my more immediate subjective experience as well as the realm of the more scientific objective experience of reality like those those all start to, to merge a bit and so it's not really a question of, of morality or or of you know of like personal integrity I'm in a, a very a clear mode of thinking, but I'm getting there, I think. I'm starting to become a little bit more coherent and my thoughts are starting to have a little bit more connection. I'm talking, I have been talking pretty slowly so far so now I feel myself putting in a little bit of effort to pick up the pace a little bit 
so that I'm not a total, you know, bore. But, you know, it's the question of I still want to be as actively engaged with each thing that I say as possible rather than spouting off a thought that's been more or less pre-formulated in my mind but to some extent to some extent all the thoughts that I say must kind of exist in some form in my mind already but that might not necessarily be true because I seem to experience in walking talking particularly as I get towards the latter part of the video I seem to experience thoughts come to me that I, I didn't that seem fresh that I'm, I'm not that I wasn't familiar with before like something as if something actually got generated but it must just be some kind of synthesis of stuff that already existed in my brain, right? When we're thinking verbally, do all the thoughts originate in outside thoughts that we obtained verbally? I don't think it, I don't think completely. You know, it's entirely possible that the sensory information that I take in can interact with the my verbal way of thinking in a way to to generate novel verbal thoughts, I suppose. Still, still continuing to feel embarrassment about myself, and I, I'm not even sure why I feel the need to keep disclosing that feeling of embarrassment. Uh, except as maybe some form of defense, like if I say that I'm embarrassed for myself before you start to feel embarrassed for me, maybe I can prevent some of that embarrassment or I can I can uh, I can prevent the, the really truly embarrassing reality of having an other people feel embarrassed for me and so I'm I guess I'm I'm I keep trying to preemptively say the things that I think you might think so I can feel as if I have some kind of upper hand so that I can I can earn or maintain some modicum of respect from you or something like that but maybe that's Maybe that itself is a symptom of insecurity 
of uh, judging myself through the imagined eyes of you and maybe that behavior in itself might be alienating to you and could come across as kind of cold as if you know once I'm actually able to to cast off that uh, self-consciousness and by self-consciousness I mean constantly looking at myself through the imagined eyes of others then um, then I'll, I'll simultaneously cast off inhibitions to my way of being and once maybe once I cast off those inhibitions I can relate to you in a, in a more true and warm and light-hearted way but let's let's be honest here there's there's a little bit to there's always a little bit of, of crust to cut through before you get there and if there if there wasn't that then what would be the point There's some kind of barrier to break through between you and I. But I think, I guess it's that barrier that, that uh, also grants some meaning to the potential connection. There's turtles. It's... I'm happy to report it's turtle season again. And it's a sunny day, so we're... doubtlessly going to be seeing a lot of turtles. Something just jumped out of that water, or into that water. In some ways though, in some ways though, I almost feel like this YouTube relationship between us is, is like in some ways better than, uh, than IRL friendship or or uh, or friendship in general this might be better than friendship <clears throat> whoa big ass snapping turtle look at that monster holy shit holy shit look at that snapper that's like a dinosaur. Whoa. Holy shit. 
Do you empathize with my enjoyment of this turtle? Sometimes when I uh, don't care about stuff, which is very often, um, I can really appreciate being around somebody who like is really opinionated and feels like very positively and negatively about certain things. And so I can just like enjoy, um, I can enjoy empathizing with their like, their attraction or uh, revulsion towards certain things certain things that I just feel ambivalent about. So if you feel if you feel ambivalent about turtles which seems crazy to me uh, maybe you can enjoy maybe you can appreciate experiencing my enjoyment of turtles although like even in the enjoyment of turtles there's embedded in that like uh some form of sadness or something like that of like like i can never fully possess the turtle i can never like fully i can never fully like merge with the turtle that is like the, the object of my uh, kind of affection or something. It'll always be a little bit other than I. Even if I caught the turtle and had it as a pet. Even if I had the turtle as a pet and I uh, like took it out and, and played with it <coughs> every day. I would never like, there would always be a certain distance that I could never traverse. I could never fully be the turtle. And it would never, it would never fully understand me either. I could never fully, you know, I could never fully understand a turtle, and it could never fully understand me. There's a little tiny baby one, swimming. I don't know if you can see that, it's so tiny. It's so tiny. Any animal that is smaller than the normal version of that animal immediately earns our adoration. And that is like true in all cases. The larger an animal is, the less we like it. Whoa, there's a ton of turtles right here. See those ones? 
we don't like these turtles as much as we like the baby one. The smaller, the larger, you know, the smaller the turtle is, the more we like it. Just like with people, the, uh, the younger the person is, the more we like them. Maybe that's not universally true, but like with our, uh, in, the, in the manner of like, our like, in the manner of like a, like a emotional clinging, uh, grasping attraction type of thing, the younger the person is, like a baby, you know, we adore babies, and then like, they'll, I think, and I think like Patty or Selma from The Simpsons once said, the the older the old kids, the older they get, the cuter they ain't. Now the embarrassment that I feel. Hey, there's a dinosaur. Hey, it's my. This is my favorite dinosaur, an Ankylosaurus. I can't believe there's an Ankylosaurus right here. My embarrassment now is is on kind of the wandering nature of my thoughts. I can't find. A strong continuity in what I'm talking about. And it's, it's, I'm having this feeling of maybe I'm lacking a certain kind of commitment, lacking focus, lacking some kind of discipline of limiting my thoughts more towards, you know, totally like immaterial, uh, deeper observations of this experience. But there's still time. Maybe the commitment is still here, regardless of what exactly I'm talking about. Or maybe, maybe I'll retroactively interpret how what I'm saying now is consistent 
with a unified vision. That seems possible. How many times in our life are we in total um, despair and agonizing self-criticism and feel like a total failure and then at some time in the future we we feel a little better about ourselves and we we find a way to integrate that past experience into a positive concept or, or at least like functional conception of ourselves and that seems to often happen in walking and talking and like even to the extent that I insist to myself that the feelings of failure are real and that the, the, the failures are real and that uh, even to the extent that I you know view myself as a very real failure at some later point Uh, even that that very experience I'll, I'll view as inordinate as, as like you know valuable and just like yeah just like an integrated and valuable aspect of my being and that uh, has meaning in relationship to the rest of the world as well. Like having as full, having as full an experience of failure as possible, and then you have, then you have the opposite feeling, fully as well. Whether it has any, uh, you know, whether that uh, correlates objectively to the external world, and whether the external world sees you as a failure or a success uh, is another question but it's almost un it's kind of uh, unimportant it's only important to the to it's it's important to the extent that it determines your own experience of yourself It's important to the extent that you grant it importance, and I'm, I'm not, and I'm not saying that granting it importance is a falsehood. 
we don't have to have this uh, you know this this idea that um, this idea that our, our meaning in life is a hundred percent determined by us and not the outside world I think depends on upholding this dichotomy between the internal and external world. Like you can you can recognize external uh, validation as I don't know as not separate from your own internal validation if you want and and then you can strive for external validation and it will And then, and then uh, maybe it'll correlate with the the internal experience of success. So maybe. I I, I feel uh, like there's something I could be talking about this more clearly. Like there's a, there's a more there's a more lucid explanation of what I seem to be getting at. I think it's that um, as your as your own sphere of identification grows, which is what it tends to do, then this 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 the. Uh, then what constitutes a success or a failure will grow correspondingly but so so for example could be kind of identified with society in the manner where <clears throat> you derive your meaning and direction in life from society's values and in that case your failures or successes will be what constitutes a failure or success will be completely determined by 
by society's validation of you or, or not, or lack thereof. But then if you are operating on a more independently created morality, which is still relating to society, your, your, what, what constitutes a success or failure for you would be more like, um, it would be more like, um, how effective you, how effective you are at, um, at communicating or enacting, yeah, either enacting or communicating your particular, you know, internal moral program on society. Whether, regardless of whether society um, validates it or not. Because, like, for me, um, whatever, what, what it is that, uh, my, my own personal conception of morality, um, very, very rarely correlates with right and wrong, or, you know, that what what does correlate with right and wrong for me personally uh, comes up in, in these relative uh, and, and fairly clear-cut questions that aren't really that big of questions. <clears throat> because if it's to the extent that it's clearly right or wrong, then you just go with, you just do what's right. And then, where the real uh, meat of morality is for me, where the real moral questions are, are uh, on that horizon where things are really unclear. And to try and move towards that reality, you know, move towards that horizon and bring that horizon closer to reality.
doesn't doesn't necessarily correlate to saying that something's right or wrong. There's a horizon of there's an there's a horizon of, of value. There are forms of value on the horizon and beyond the horizon that we don't recognize yet. And I feel myself striving towards that horizon. Another thing to, another way to put it about uh, as this, as your, you know, your sphere of what you identify with, the scope of what you identify with grows. For instance, growth from being, uh, you, know, you know, purely recognizing your own body as an infant to gaining some kind of awareness of other people around you and your family and friends to then identifying with the larger group identity like maybe it's your country or something like that and then you start to then growing more and identifying with all of the people in the world and then all of the people and all of the beings in the world and then then maybe maybe you're expanding towards identifying also with inanimate matter as that happens your conception of, of morality is going to have to keep expanding What seems moral to you <clears throat> may not seem moral to somebody who has who is operating at a different level of uh, identification.
still still working here. Still working to uh, to feel as if as if I'm thinking in in some kind of way that's contributing anything. And you know I've like uh, I've kind of expressed various thoughts in in ways that in in my eyes don't seem super clearly articulated nor nor very organized in a larger scheme of things and that distresses me a little bit As in like, you know, an hour and eight minutes have gone by and so I think to myself, how how am I going to how am I gonna retroactively make any sense of this? How's that gonna happen? I don't know. It seems it seems as if we've spent an hour and eight minutes together and nothing that great has happened. I feel a little bit physically and mentally tired. Or, or just kind of a little bit slow or something. But, uh, I don't know if that's important to point out. Maybe I just need to, to deal with that and uh, stop comparing this state with other states. feeling really thirsty and I feel disappointed disappointed in myself for I guess maybe even um, engaging in, in this thought where I'm just kind of addressing my physical state. That is my ex expressed tiredness and thirst. as opposed to uh, clearly and um, and in a in a flowing engaging manner generating uh, novel and valuable thoughts
and I'm I'm noticing that I've 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 kind of oscillated here in between. talking about somewhat ideas that are somewhat abstracted from my immediate experience and then talking about my immediate experience <clears throat> I've kind of shifted back and forth without feeling a great degree of continuity between them and I've felt some amount of distraction by things in my environment and I continue to feel such distraction and Increasing, increasing sense of disappointment in, in what I'm doing. <clears throat> and a, a very, I feel very unsure whether expressing that or even, you know, allowing myself to go down that train of thought of self-criticality, wondering if that itself is problematic or if it's, it's, um, if it's just like reifying this problem and taking up energy that would be more usefully directed in an unself-conscious manner. And then on the other hand, I wonder if it's, if this is more honest to, to just reveal this self out and sometimes I wonder if by just really allowing the self-doubt allowing myself to experience the self-doubt fully as some way to like uh, metabolize it and uh, at least temporarily expunge it. Because it, it always seems to be the case that I come out the other side, always, from the self-doubt and then uh, get into, you know, some mode of, mode of thinking where like, well, I, you know, it's like doubt the self until the self kind of like disappears for a while. 
and then then I'm able to operate really without either self-doubt or self-aggrandizement, really without much uh, conception of self at all, but still able to continue thinking, but without the this like referent of self. And I think also that this I think that I am being influenced by my physiological state being somewhat physiologically exhausted owing to recent activities I think that has a large effect on my emotional state and then of course my emotional state has a large effect on my the, the nature of my thoughts But I recognize that <clears throat> to, to remedy this physiological state uh, really just takes time. Just takes some waiting for my body to recover. I'm not like lacking food or anything like that. I just have to wait for my body to recover as as well as my uh, neurotransmitters. And as long as I Do that in a way that's not strongly reacting to my physiological state, like uh, you know, heavily seeking out other stimuli in order to immediately self-alter my physiological state. For instance, if I were to imbibe, you know, a lot of caffeine or something like that, or sugar, or something like that in order to immediately um, escape the the experience of of tiredness and slowness you know, it, it would in immediate sense maybe 
affect my neurotransmitters in some way, but uh, in a less in a less stable way, I would say, than if I just kind of wait and allow my body to recalibrate naturally. I think that that will, in the future, provide a a much more steady feeling of energy, a much more steady energy level. Which should be, wow, look at all those turtles on that bank, holy shit. Somehow they remind me of soldiers. Maybe it's because of their shell. So it could be the case that this walking and talking episode in some way in some way has to uh, sacrifice immediate energy and engagement and you know like high high level thinking or something in the service of a uh, longer term in the service of the longer term stability of all of those things that bird looking for? And it's not only just it's not only just you know just like physiological stimulation that it's it's kind of important to avoid at this point <clears throat> but also just other like sensorial stimulation informational stimulation like I, th I feel that it's important to recalibrate recalibrate my mind as well. To be able to experience, you know, more like autonomous state of activation without a constant input of stimulation, sensory stimulation or informational stimulation.
and walking and talking is one of the best ways to do that. Oh my god, look at this tiny turtle. So much for no sensory stimulation, huh? I don't want you to get run over here in the path. And so I get the pleasure of holding you for a moment. Whoa. And then putting you over here. Well, so much for, so much for uh, absence of sensory stimulation. But you know, I don't. That doesn't seem like the unhealthy sort of st stimulation. A baby turtle. can't really swing a dead cat without hitting a turtle around here. But this, I do think that this, that walking talking is. An excellent way um, to recalibrate physically and mentally. Because it's, it's relatively free of any of the like stimulating input that I have a tendency to uh, grasp towards in in like in an emotional way like there's no gratifying food around there's there's actually there is lots of food around like this garlic mustard but it's just greens. It has a pungent flavor, but it's not a type of gratifying physiological sense, like eating something that's a lot of carbohydrates or fat or salt is. It's almost like, it almost even helps in this process. Because it like, it kind of, it kind of like keys me into um, 
sensorial experience in a non-grasping way like that's type of that is a sensory input eating garlic mustard and I taste the pungency of it but it's it's certainly not any kind of like um, it's not exactly like a type of acute pleasure that would be addictive it's like if I'm if I'm gonna eat a garlic mustard leaf then I'm, I make you know I'm always gonna be making the decision with more parts of my consciousness aligned than than necessarily are so when I'm eating something like chocolate. Here's some kind of larva floating in the air. And as well as, as well as not having mental input in the form of thoughts coming in, you know, no information, no, you know, there's no like verbal information coming in. Uh, there's, and you know, in the place where I'm in, there's not like really any symbolic information coming in. In addition to that, the, the publicness of my thought, in which I referenced earlier, um, puts some kind of constraint on my thinking, some kind of impetus to, to keep my, to, to like, put some kind of effort in my thinking to going hopefully hopefully in some kind of useful direction hopefully keeping it in in uh, some realm where it's um, I don't know has some kind of some kind of self-awareness that that uh, keeps it from like going into uh, a, some kind of pattern of uh, inventing stories or uh, going off on uh, some train of abstraction that's like far from reality or something like that. It keeps me in some way from indulging uh, too much in, in the types of thoughts that might tend to strengthen it and or that might tend to like uh, constrict my identity.
you know, it prevents me from going off on narratives that narratives about my identity that would would actually kind of limit my identity and so I feel grateful for that So if, if in this episode of Walking and Talking we have to maybe sacrifice um, some of the quality of, of stimulation in, in, our, in the thought, in the, our way of thinking. I think that's... I think that's perfectly okay. And for me, this this might be a somewhat new way of valuing. I mean, this this might be an experience that I'm newly finding value in or at least newly expressing the value of in walking and talking and that I haven't I haven't before really framed this experience as uh, this kind of like sacrificial recalibration And so, in that sense, I may be beginning to discover at least a hint of what might be the, the route of redemption of this episode. The, uh, you know, a hint of what form the reintegration of my previous experience of of self-doubt and failure might look like you know what I'm saying like in the uh, for much of this video having uh, expressed some feelings of failure and self-doubt about how I was thinking, how I was talking, how I was feeling. And then, you know, having some knowledge of this phenomenon that always seems to happen Whereas what I think is horrible in the first part, like, becomes meaningful later. But back then I, I couldn't understand, I couldn't see how it would become meaningful, you know? 
because like in the moment it sometimes it feels um, it feels like just like purely time wasted or something uh, purely a bad experience something that you something that I could be better off without and I, I'm sure you've had experiences like this in your life too where you have an experience that in the time of having that experience you can only perceive it as horrible and that you would be better off without it and you can't see from that perspective how it could ever be meaningful in your life but then time passes and and then you kind of realize that that uh, it's some integral part of you that uh, gives you certain positive quality or just like you know grants some kind of meaning to your life maybe it's meaningful narrative or maybe it's just uh, positive characteristics of yourself or character in general and then you're no you're you know are no longer experiencing the horribleness of that experience but you find yourself experiencing the meaningfulness of the present experience and you know just now while I'm standing on this bridge I start to have uh, hints of that and then I start to notice in my experience feelings of a, a more positive nature <clears throat> and noticing the quality of my thought and speaking and regarding them a little bit more positively or just like just a new feeling feeling a new like here's something here's something coming up from my thought that's completely connected to all the negative thoughts that I had before and the thoughts that I considered worthless like this this these thoughts that I'm having now and this emotional state that I'm having now which is uh I would say better than than only a few minutes ago and more more pleasant than only a few minutes ago like I'm not experiencing this embarrassment so much at the moment but this experience right now is completely dependent on that previous experience of feeling embarrassed and feeling like a failure and having this experience of like not being able to think clearly feeling slow and so this is this can be um, in some ways you can use it as a consolation but it's not really necessary to use anything as a consolation 
but you can obviously extrapolate this to other life circumstances. And so if you, you know, any, any form of difficulty that you're experiencing, go ahead and experience it fully. And don't, you know, don't like react immediately and try not to experience, and like try to not experience difficulty, but even saying that doesn't matter because even if you try not to experience difficulty, you will experience difficulty just in some other form of trying to avoid difficulty. It's unavoidable. And even with the unavoidable, difficult feelings, you will eventually experience the opposite of, of, that, of those feelings, of those experiences. I mean, that's not to say, that's not to say that like, for some reason, if, you know, if you have like some debilitating disease or uh, problem with your body, it's not to say that like, you're going to, it's going to like reverse itself physically But I, I would say that it is likely that that uh, the mental and emotional distress associated with it would reverse itself. And I think like uh, they say some study about people's happiness. I'm not sure if it's uh, self-reported happiness or if they measure it in some other way of people who either A, win the lottery or B, become a paraplegic. It's like their happiness is affected for like a year or something like that. But then like after like after like a sh as short a time as like a year or maybe a few years or something their levels of happiness are pretty much uh, equal to each other again And that's like, uh, with that realization, it's like, I don't worry too much about feeling bad. I mean, and, but that's not entirely true because like feeling bad is inherently by definition, 
something that you don't want. And so, of course, in the state of feeling bad, I want nothing else than to stop feeling bad, but but it's like depending on what depending on what level of consciousness I am feeling bad like on like if it's a feeling bad that I'm totally identified with then of course then I'm also identified with the the feeling the of you know wanting to stop feeling bad and wanting to get out of it but to the extent that there is a I awareness that is even slightly disidentified with this bad feeling, then that I awareness can like observe this like feeling bad and like know that <clears throat> that that's temporary and that I'll at some point at some point the the opposite of that will manifest uh, so this that's why this this like process of of disidentification with one like level of consciousness is very important and then identifying with a broader uh, larger like uh, larger scope of awareness is really helpful it helps it, it, it allows you to um, direct direct your life uh, towards goals of a, a broader scope or, or a kind of deeper deeper level of impact because you can direct yourself through more superficial um, levels of being and you can mediate your impulses, regulate your impulses, you know. Like for, for like an infant or a very young child, like the idea of like exercising uh, doesn't work, you know. It's like why would a baby like want to like lift weights uh, because they are the top level of their identification is with this like sensation and emotion and doing something like exercise is like an un is you know in that immediate sense sensation emotion uh realm is unpleasant is an unpleasant experience you know you lose some weights until your muscles hurt 
and you know very young children it's like there's there's not there's there's not this like um there's not yet this like mental consciousness that uh can look down upon the physical being and and control the physical existence from a mental perspective a mental perspective that can project into the future uh the positive effects of exercise it takes you know it dis it takes it takes then a level of development where you disidentify with this with only your body and then you become identified with your mind so then your mind starts to take more control of your body and then and so like and that's why once you are identified with this mental state then you can use your mind to you, then your mind can come up with goals cuz it's your mind that can you know perceive time and and project into the future and come up with goals and then it can then it can make your body do things that are in the immediate sense unpleasant unpleasant to the body but uh you know not not suffering on the mental level and then but that you know that that process extends upward and you can gain a level of awareness that's like above the mind and you can look down and observe your mind without being identified with it and then you can you can operate in, in a way that would you know would previously like be unpleasant to the mind and maybe it is still in the immediate sense unpleasant to the mind like uh where you like like maybe I I'll do something that in which in the immediate sense I experience mental distress for example much of the time spent in walking and talking <clears throat> where I feel a host of unpleasant I experience a host of unpleasant thoughts uh negative conceptions of myself and what I'm doing But then like during that process like a disidentification from my mind takes place or or is revealed and then like the and then like at some point what's revealed is like the the actual uh usefulness you could say and benefit of going through that process of experiencing this like mental distress which is like starting to be become evident i feel like right now
like <clears throat> like the, the the mental distress is kind of going has has in large part gone away already and so as has any like emotional distress or you know so it's like a similar process of the mind making the body exercise that is the mind makes the body do something that's immediately uncomfortable with the goal of it feeling more comfortable um, and like you know overall much better in the long term like it the body will feel some immediate discomfort in the exercise but then overall it feels like a lot better than if it didn't do the uncomfortable exercise and that is thanks to the mind and then so once there's a level of awareness that's kind of higher than just the mind starting to come into play it can force the mind to do uncomfortable things things that are uncomfortable in the immediate sense to uh, actually feel a lot better in the long run kind of like it's just like like exercise for the mind that there is some kind of deeper awareness uh, compelling it to do. Sometimes I wonder <clears throat> about, you know, depending on uh, the level of awareness and identification and the, the strength and continuity of that identification like how far is it possible to go in um, in disciplining like the body and the mind or maybe even maybe even higher uh, realms of existence like your your soul like your you know even your your own like subjectivity or something like that like how far how far and how how deep can we go in um, 
and compelling ourselves to do things that are immediately uncomfortable in the service of a longer term, greater scope, greater depth, well-being and peace. For ex like for example, like on the level of the body, like there might be things that immediately ameliorate uh, discomfortable discomfort on the bodily level, but that over a long term contribute to more discomfort on the bodily level and then similarly on the mental level there's things that would immediately ameliorate unpleasant thoughts but would over the long term contribute more to them like maybe I could say things like drugs or uh like indulgent types of media or really overstimulating types of media but like you know going without all of those things like going without uh, you know any type of like any type of like pleasure you know for a long time whether physical or mental or emotional um, it's it's about like the ability to do that rests upon the ability to identify with a higher level of awareness like to, to be aware above that, to be, uh, you know, observing the body and the mind. So that, you know, your deepest subjectivity, your deepest identification, your deepest level of identification is able to be disidentified enough with the body and mind to you know, be able to really discipline it over a long period or for a lot of intensity, with a lot of intensity. And so then there's the question of like, can you do that even on a higher level of like, uh, what we could call our soul or um, that, that, that more, that more inner like subjectivity that is able to look upon the mind like could you actually could one actually like deprive the soul of sustenance which would be like you know 
which would be like kind of like spiritually crushing in the immediate sense <clears throat> but in in a longer in a longer term and greater scope and deeper way lead towards uh, just more happiness or, or to use something more a better term than happiness like uh, more peace like a stronger and healthier soul So if I if I think about that, and it seems true, uh, and to to ignore that would would feel like some degree of bad faith. Like if if somebody kind of like um, like to me if somebody like personally like kind of like tells me in a, in a somewhat shallow way to like uh, cheer up or um, you know that I that I should just do something pleasurable. then I have to, I have to, I have to maintain my, my skepticism of that and, and like, kind of stay true to a deeper truth and a, a deeper, you know, a deeper program. That knows in, a, in an immediate sense, like to to um, to just engage in in more superficial expressions of happiness, and you know, uh, doesn't mean just like faking a superficial expression of happiness, but to kind of in, indulge in allowing myself to become identified with a superficial experience of pleasure or happiness that that is in the long run kind of detrimental and so just like having a kind of kind of faith and like knowing knowing from a very like from a very inward standpoint from a very inward 
like knowing from like a, a, a more deeply like autonomous um, perspective like the the level the level of selfhood that uh, I can see as being the the highest and um, and that can can see the most of reality and which is you know really which is pretty independent I, I guess I would say it's like you know kind of kind of removed from from social influence it's, it's not just it's not like removed from other beings or other people per se it's just like operating from like operating from a on on a scope of vision that uh, when I have a lot of typical day-to-day -day interactions with people uh, those interactions might not be operating from quite that level of vision uh, and so like just remaining kind of faithful to that remaining faithful it to it um, in the face of a lot of information or advice um, that might go to the contrary of it but that is is like kind of that is, is relevant to to a a, a, uh, a lower realm of you know existence and so this is this is basically just a very long-winded um, and and complicated way of saying that like no I won't just cheer up well, the videos video stopped for a moment and I'm not, not sure what it cut off but um, what I was saying was basically that I've, I've, I've gone on a long-winded, complicated way of saying that, that no, I won't just cheer up and I won't just, I won't merely um, abandon my current perspective by jumping into the uh, type of activity that's conventionally associated with uh, happiness. And while, yes, I, I uh, recognize the importance of maintaining both like uh, physical, emotional, and mental well-being by doing a lot of a lot of pretty normal things, uh, or like a lot of things that are, are, are widely accepted to contribute to those things, like exercising 
meditating, uh, hanging out with friends, eating healthy, etc. I definitely, it's it's that I I definitely can't uh, just relegate the 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 uh, overall direction of my life to um, to an, an orientation towards a conventional kind of like success and uh, and happiness and, and satisfaction. This, like, I think this becomes expressed maybe in the videos that I make. And that I'm, I, I can't really bring myself To, to produce videos that are conventionally valuable. And I may do some things, I may do some things in my life that are conventionally valuable, like, you know, just sometimes, sometimes I might, uh, work a job or a gig or something like that uh, that will where I'll do something practical in order to be paid some money sure my life is is full of uh, my, my life is full of the exchange of conventional value it's unavoidable of course um, and it is is necessary and it forms the basis for it forms the basis to be able to engage with reality on on post-conventional terms like terms that are post post logical post rational And this video while in some ways founded upon rationality that is it would it would everything that I say seems to follow some follow reason 
all of that is, uh, you know, like maybe maybe even um, maybe even like somewhat dogmatically so, uh, or or like uh, in you know rigorously following reason in everything that I say. Communicating in in a in you know conventional language, but all of that really is in service of creating a strong foundation to. Have an experience, have an experience, and share an experience that is that is post-rational, that is that that transcends reason. And that transcends uh, emotional gratification. And so even if I experience some difficulty some uh, emotional distress earlier in the video it doesn't necessarily follow that uh, that I am going to fully indulge in and identify with any emotional reversal that subsequently occurs Like even if even if I am to some extent to some extent in the first part of the video identified with the emotional and or mental distress and at the time can't see beyond it, but there's enough there's like enough of a shard of awareness above that that can compel me to stick with it and allow myself to can continue with the experience that eventually I become disidentified with that and then uh, it's it's and then like you know the that distress eventually goes away it's not really my goal to then just uncritically identify with uh, some positive emotion positive reframing, positive mental reframing of my experience. Because even if it's positive and pleasant, it's still not operating on the 
on the depth of truth that I would like to be operating on. I can point out now some of the other aspects of my experience now that are even as I predicted earlier opposite of my earlier experience like I feel unselfconscious that is I feel I feel I'm, I'm not worrying about what you think of me at all I'm, I'm not worried about any other's judgment and I'm I feel in a space kind of free of self-judgment at the moment and in between I and also my thinking feels much clearer now in that and then I'm not like, I'm not just trying to, I'm not just trying to pick out the good thoughts amongst a, a big fast stream of thoughts, but even, even between saying things, while there might be some thinking, there's not a lot of, there's not so many extraneous thoughts going on. There's not so many, there's some there's some but it doesn't feel difficult now to just continue on a, a train of thought I don't feel too distracted by other thoughts and sometimes even between these thoughts I can experience some uh, some awareness without the verbal thoughts like if I if I stop now and maybe Maybe I'll try it intentionally, but we'll see, just like... to direct my attention towards this, the sense, just the immediate sensory input apart from, apart from the thinking mind, uh, and The thinking mind being classifiable as another sense, you could say. Sense of, there's the senses of sight, sound, touch, and olfactory, that being smell and taste. And then, and then there's the sense of thinking, and just like, um, that the sense of thinking be the one that's like, uh, takes a little bit more uh, is, is a little bit harder to observe without being identified with but not necessarily so because it's like when we're always seeing for instance
seems to some extent we're identified we're, we're somewhat identified with that sense of sight and and we're, and we're, we're actively creating this conception of self as the seer as apart from the scene and this sensory input is interpreted by our mind as as a real outside and separate world that's perceived by the by the perceiver and you know similarly with the other senses then if you take a moment to like observe those senses you know you can just pick one of them like sight or something and then you just observe sight as as sight then it's possible to just experience this phenomenon of sight as an as the undifferentiated phenomenon you know the undifferentiated aspect of reality that it is rather than seeing it as being a dividing line between the interior and the exterior And, and the same goes with thought. Like to be able to observe thought as, as just this process that is happening as part of the world. Rather than being identified with thought and and having it having it uh, become your sense of self because it's a limited experience of selfhood
and I no longer feel um, any kind of worry or even any kind of judgment or evaluation regarding the speed of speech now. Because even in the, the absence of talking or, you know, the temporarily, temporary cessation of talking, it feels accurately descriptive of my mental state. It feels honest. I've had, I'm having thoughts that, and and I, I suppose an attitude now that seem to indicate a, a feeling of autonomy or an attitude. I'm having an attitude of autonomy of. Of, of not feeling immediately concerned about how you might judge this video or how you might judge me um, but at the same time there I do feel like a 
just a, a cognizance of your experience. I mean, or at least at least an imagined idea of what of, of how this video might affect your experience. that is partially informed by responses that previous walking talking videos have received. And my, my interaction with you, you know, like the, the whole, like this whole process of, uh, of why am I, why am I doing this? Why am I spending four hours walking and talking, or in, in, in this case, I happen to be sitting and talking for, for quite a while. Um, and uploading it to YouTube. You know, it's, it's not, it's not like, it's definitely not like independent of of you. It's most certainly in relation to you. When people say I do things, you know, they just do something for themselves. Um, for me to say that would feel to me like a, a little bit of a falsehood. While it is true that this activity seems to produce in me um, things like relief or, or like actually hopefully more hopefully more like transcendence of of distressing experiences or just or or unpleasant experiences it doesn't necessarily relieve them exactly cuz maybe i don't know maybe it's even producing them in, at the at the start you know but then they go away and and then and then i feel like i'm 
like I'm I'm much more aligned with a higher a higher current of being even though this this activity like produces that that's it's uh it's it's entirely dependent on my knowledge of communicating with you and and it's entirely dependent on the the uh the potential and realized uh, connection with you. Like the, the connection that is, is happening now through the, through, through this video. This for me, at the present moment, is just happens to be a way of relating to people that that feels the, the most aligned. With, with my personal conception of uh, of not only not only morality but uh, aesthetic beauty and 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 like even even notions of like uh, objective um, objective like scientific progress or something like that. Like this is an expression of my of of my highest notion of utility. If it can still be called utility, I'm not sure. But if if I had a conception, if I had a true and honest conception of utility, then this video would be an expression of it.
and I would say, you know, like this is, and that's all, that could also be rephrased and just saying like, no, I won't just do something practical and useful. Or, and, and also, no, I won't just do something entertaining. Because there's no shortage of that already in existence. But yes, of course, yes, of course. The practical is necessary and valuable. And what, like this that I'm doing here wouldn't be possible without, <clears throat> without the conventional sense of utility and practicality and it wouldn't be possible without very many people doing a lot of hard work within practical constraints I guess I guess I'm I guess I'm also working within practical constraints I guess everyone always is. But that I don't feel, I don't feel any reason to to make anything that's. Uh, there's no reason to create anything that's easier to digest, that's uh, that's more enticing to your senses or stimulating to your mind. There's there's no reason for that. And there's not even there's not even any reason to do anything that's uh, that's more conceptually sexy either. You know, like this isn't walking talking is not is not a great concept.
it's just a, a it's just an activity that I do over and over again. It's not there's nothing clever about it. I seem to be kind of like um, in an almost in a somewhat like in an almost bitter tone now. Uh, be trying to like deny various forms of value to what I'm doing, which uh, I have to admit. Um, has a kind of moralistic um, motivation behind it. I'm, I'm realizing now. There's like, uh, it's a kind of moral positioning that I, I seem to be engaging with. That uh, now that I've noticed myself doing that, I, I'm like realizing it's unnecessary to. It's it's unnecessary to like. Actively um, you know like elevate the moral status of, of what I'm doing here by explaining to you uh, all of the lower forms of morality that it's that it's um, not indulging in It's like, uh, it's actually, by doing that, I'm actually covertly engaging in, uh, in, uh, in like a dualistic type of morality. I'm like, covertly uh, identifying lower levels of moral good and then asserting that what I'm doing is operating at a higher level of morality but in the sense of in the process of doing that all I'm really doing is like trying to position myself as a extreme do-gooder but you know here I am like uh, here I am like calling myself out on that uh, and even even in that I'm just furthering the same moral positioning but I guess like what else is there to do kind of 
like what what else is there to do other than uh, try to orient yourself in in a To the to the to your 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 highest known uh, orientation, you know. It's not that we'll always be operating <clears throat> in accordance with our our highest ideals but we at least have to orient ourselves towards it and I think that's kind of I think I think that's in, in some sense it's like everybody is all the time some way orient towards, oriented towards uh, growth in the, in the in the very grand scheme of things and of course we see instances, instances of people seeming to be stuck or even regressing away from away from a, a, like a fuller understanding of reality and, and uh, type of behavior that's uh, appropriate to that understanding but like on the whole it seems like even as society as moving forward through time we're generally oriented towards that even if we get stuck sometimes and even if we regress at times and on the whole the the more inclusive understandings of reality, the, the more all-encompassing understandings of reality, meaning that perspectives that that the perspectives that can accommodate the, the most of reality seems like over, in general uh, will lead to types of, you know, personal behavior and and thinking and uh, types of like societal organization that are, are just like the most in line with reality as it is, and so we should think should be should be the most successful. not 
doesn't, you know, I don't know, what am I, what am I saying? That's not an immediate transformation by any means. camera shut off again I hope we're not losing any video it's a tricky thing because like from from like this really like for, like for me from like from my highest perspective of understanding reality it's like everything belongs like everything belongs, including all the other understandings of reality. Like from from my from when I'm when I'm operating at my my best self, I would say my worldview it, within my worldview, all the other worldviews like belong, and so. Uh, it's it's not that like for, like from my worldview I don't feel like some kind of like urgency I don't feel like an urgency to uh, impose my worldview and like like spread it but uh, but you could say that that uh, my YouTube videos are uh, one form of expressing my worldview. But it, and it feels, it feels in line, it feels in line with my, my values in the way that putting videos on YouTube doesn't demand anybody's attention or resources, you know, not much resources anyway. There's like a storage space on servers and then there's the bandwidth and then the electricity necessary to power devices. 
uh, but it doesn't I guess I guess other than the um, server space it's not demanding anything from anyone in order you know, you know So that that mode of that this mode of expression feels pretty in line with my with my values. It's not demanding anything, but it's readily available to a lot of people, um, and. It's it's like even even more available to it's it's more available to the the most number of people on the earth than than most other forms of expression that I can think of. Like even even talking to people in person <clears throat> while uh, you know on the surface seems like seems as if that's like really accessible or something it's only accessible to very few it's only it's completely limited to the number of people that I can talk to in person and like you know, demands all those people be in a particular place at a particular time because uh, our, our, our being, it's, it's dependent on our being in the same physical space at the same, phys at the same time. And if I were to try to do that throughout the world, it would demand an incredible amount of resources in the form of jet fuel. And other fuel and you know car fuel or however I'm gonna get around but comparatively you know comparatively YouTube is so much more accessible and efficient and even you know even in the practical considerations of your time this video is here for you whenever you want it um, whenever you have the time for it you can watch some of it and you can turn it off and go do something else and then watch the rest of it later you can watch however much or however little of walking and talking as you want and It'll be here as, as long as YouTube's here.
it's interesting that I've that I'm like have I've now spent a lot of time I've now spent a lot of time talking about my own mode of expression and I use that term expression lightly That's in, in a, a more en encompassing way to describe this is just like an activity. But it's, it's interesting to me that I've spent so much time now describing certain motivations for the way that I do this activity. Because like in doing that, it's like, where's the substance of the activity if, if you're just like talking about, talking about the activity itself. But I guess that's all this, I guess that's all this really is anyways. I guess when you when you think about it that's kind of all a lot of things are if if they're not exactly just referent to themselves then they're they're referent to um, the other you know very similar modes of expression to such an extent that they're their meaning and their significance is derived from both their similarity and their difference. From similar modes of expression. So I, I feel like walking and talking mostly, mostly derives its significance from walking and talking, but uh, that's not entirely true. It's also for me in relation to a really wide variety of other modes of communication and expression.
and activity in general. It, it relates to everything for me. Or it's, or it's in response to everything for me. At every single moment, um, there's all these decisions to make, like not only what will I say, but what, how will I navigate in my physical environment? All these decisions they don't follow any kind of um, strict or or simple system but they do they do follow a very complex system that that just is the reality of my, of, uh, that is, well, reality at large. That, you know, every single aspect of my being is part and parcel of reality at large. Um, and it's, but even, even to say that it is part, uh, is not entirely true. Because it's also it's also true to say that this experience this experience is reality itself. And, and walking and talking if it follows any system is is just following that um, you know incomprehensibly complex system But in the process, in this process, of you know just experiencing reality unfolding, uh, awareness of it expands. 
and within that we we do create some conceptual models via this verbalized thought but we can also recognize this verbalized thought and the conceptual models that it serves as being you know merely one one aspect of the you know incomprehensibly complex whole to make a make a break from that I'm, I'm feeling having some experiences of, of uh, a feeling uh, like deeply confident and not not really in the Not really in a, a particular sense of anything that I'm saying in particular. Like I don't, uh, I don't exactly feel, you know, any any um, uncritical sense of confidence for any particular idea that I've expressed or thing that I've said. On the contrary, I feel a lot of. I feel, you know, usually some degree of criticism for everything that I say, like starting immediately as I say it, um, or, you know, either, either criticism or like, um, a kind of neutrality that, that maintains itself by continuously moving forward, kind of equilibrium that, uh, suspends judgment whether negative or positive by just continuing to continuing to move forward and um, allow each allow whatever's problematic about each thought to propel the next thought to con to correct it and and so on and so forth um, so it's it's not like as i I don't say that I'm feeling like particularly confident in like the content of what I'm expressing. But uh but feeling um but feeling some confidence in in the value of this process. And 
and appreciation for myself and, and being willing to continue with it and overall most importantly um, a kind of confidence that is that that I I am staying aligned with staying aligned with my my highest conception of 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 truth goodness and beauty that is like truth and morality and aesthetics I feel a confidence that I am operating f from my my own uh, highest conception of those things. That's not to say that my conception of those things won't change and that I won't come, you know, I won't like realize weaknesses to this or that I won't, uh, that it, my conception of those things won't continue to grow. But I guess at this present juncture, But even even as I say that, maybe maybe not in the acute sense, like maybe not acutely in this moment, like ahorita. Like the little now. But in, in the general sense of in the general sense of continuing with this process. and talking demands a commitment of time um, in, in order for for anything to be transmitted well in, in order for it to uh, 
in order for it to like produce the produce its 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 greatest uh, possible experience. In, it, it requires a commitment of time in order to, uh, like, to create uh, an experience that's that's uh, the most divergent from what your ordinary experience would be otherwise. I think. But it's it it certainly doesn't it doesn't demand that you like watch all of it. You don't have to watch you don't have to watch a previous episode of Walking and Talking in order to understand the current episode of Walking and Talking. And um I'm not exactly sure how how important it is to watch like an entire episode in chronological order, but I'm I am sure that I'm sure that's that that is uh, you know most conducive to. Um, that would be most conducive to producing and experiencing an experience in you that would be most similar to my experience here. But it might also be possible that some of that is possible while watching just a fragment. But like for instance, Well, I'm not sure. You know, for instance, if you watched like the first hour of this video, in which I mostly had negative judgments of what I was doing and was experiencing slowness and, and fogginess of thought it wouldn't seem like the like the it wouldn't seem like the video and, and then you stopped it out the, at uh, after that without uh, seeing any of the subsequent um, reversal of those experiences. It wouldn't seem like the video had contributed anything desirable to your experience. But I also wonder that if if that if that experience wouldn't have primed primed your consciousness for that same type of reversal like just later on, like after you've stopped the video. You know, 
you watch something if you if you do something if you do something really boring for long enough then just any any variance in that becomes really exciting you do something you know you go to work and do something boring enough like you get home and get to do whatever you want it's kind of exciting or it's relatively exciting you know so I kind of wonder well I you know I wonder yeah I, I really wonder if like if um, you know through like empathetic response to to a person that you see on video which you know happens all the time if I'm feeling kind of lethargic maybe that produces that same response in you So I guess the question is, if you stop the video in that lethargic state, does that lethargy continue in your existence affecting you negatively, or does it prime you for the reversal of like then noticing, then, then feeling uh, an energy, greater energy? as like a rebound from that. I generally have this sense that doing the most boring things is like, I don't know, maybe that's not true. I was gonna say doing, you know, as, as the, bo the most boring things possible, that's like really good for you. Uh, but it's, it's almost impossible, it's almost impossible to do that because like the boringness is not inherent to any particular activity or object or piece of entertainment or media the boringness is is your is your experience in relation to it and our experience is never static and stable um, if we have a stimuli that is static and, and stable like an activity that persists for a certain period of time we'll definitely notice our experience in relation to it change greatly something's fun at first then it becomes boring and then it'll be really boring that'd be extremely boring then it might get really interesting in a new way after you get through that intense boredom
that's why I think these walking and talking videos are kind of a challenge. at the point where we can turn back well we are we are at the point where we can turn back now we're like um, we're well we're in the like last fourth of the video which is amazing time is really flown by here in my experience. But now it's time to pick some stinging nettles. And, uh... I really apologize that this maybe is a type of, this maybe is kind of a compromise to do something of a practical nature while walking and talking. I mean, I mean, well, it's, it's practical in the, uh, like, in the, in the bodily sense, but um, I think as we've talked about, like, that kind of practicality exists within the scope of, um, this, like, this more, like, uh, transcendent, um, this transcendent mode of operation. So it's, from that perspective, it's perfectly in line with what we're trying to accomplish here. And in my view, it's very uh, consistent with, well, maintaining the uh, foundation for this post-rational thought.
you know, stinging nettles being so uh, incredibly nutrient dense food they're they're supposedly good for alleviating allergies which is good for me um, they're they don't cost any money which means I save some money which what real that really means is I save time that can be further devoted towards walking and talking and there's you know there's this experience of uh, picking them which um, in our context of of modernity uh, is an experience that's out of the ordinary and is in such enlivening to the senses in a non-addictive manner and that's an incredibly valuable thing And, and also the, you know, the experience of preparing and consuming them to me is also in further enlivening to the extent, the senses in a somewhat non-addictive manner. But what I usually do is make them in a pesto and it's, it is really delicious. And so pesto is maybe a little bit addictive for me, but I feel you know free of guilt when I do it knowing that I'm just eating so many greens that I didn't have to you know um, throw away any packaging for I guess to I guess to answer maybe some of your burning question is uh, yes they sting a little bit when I pick them on my fingers and then once I cook them at all or even once I just blend them up with the olive oil and stuff to make pesto uh, they don't sting you anymore and of course you can eat them without getting stung and they taste like I don't know, like a green vegetable. And you know, why not throw in some garlic mustard leaves while we're at it for good measure? 
and to contribute some of that garlicky pungentness to our pesto. You know, and get, you know, this very, another nutrient dense plant, a member of the brassica family. So you get all those antioxidants associated with uh, broccoli and kale and so on. And then like, you know, if you wanna if you wanna if you wanna also indulge in the satisfaction of operating in a a uh, a uh, socially conventional uh, morality, then you're you're in on the up and up uh, because garlic mustard is considered an invasive plant. And so there's no you, you can you can pretend like you're helping the ecosystem or something when you when you pick it. Nettle's not an invasive but when you just pick the tops of it, it doesn't kill the plant. It, and if, if you go in like a dense patch and you just kind of like thin it out where it's really dense, then it can actually be beneficial towards the patch or so I'm told. You know, it's like that's uh, engaging in the kind of the kind of like more pra I don't know. That's like a, a kind of practicality that when you're when you're doing it, uh, you get some you get some alleviation of of the like intense questioning of, of meaning of everything that you're doing because there's just there's just this more immediate reason for doing this and that it'll keep you from it'll you know get rid of your hungry your hunger and also be healthy for you so then you get some relief from this like uh, <clears throat> you 
of like of like having to uh, find the meaning in what seems like a vacuum. But like, am I doing what I said I wouldn't do in that, am I like, am I indulging in a lower form of meaning? And thus like uh, weakening my, weakening my connection to a, a higher form of meaning. Ow, ow. No, I don't think so. Watch out for the poison ivy. That one and that one. And you just want to touch the stems very gingerly. Ow, ow. That was my shin that brushed up against Because whenever you like brush up against it, then it stings. But if I just kind of like pinch the stem, uh, then it only stings me a little bit on the pads of my fingers. Or you can wear gloves. I'm doing, you know, I'm doing this a lot slower. Because while I'm doing this, I'm also trying to walk and talk. That is, uh, Remain connected to a post-rational existence. More poison ivy. to brush up against the poison ivy. Ow! And trying to stop, you know, brushing the outside of my hand against the nettles. Because that's when it hurts more. this up and, and make pesto it's just so easy then to just eat like a ton of greens and a ton of a ton of metals 
now here's now here's walking talking uh devolving into some kind of like health show health diet show But you know, we're not like missing anything by doing this. We're not like, maybe, I, well sure, I guess we're, you know, we're always missing, we're always missing the potential for everything else that could possibly be all the time. Anytime we experience one thing, we're missing out on all the other possible experiences that we could be having. <clears throat> but there's no, need there's no need really to um, speculate about the potential better quality of experience that we could have if we weren't picking nettles you know maybe I could be uh, focused more on just talking and not paying attention to the like outward world but you know we've I think we've already established pretty clearly that that the fallacy of that kind of thinking oh you know what it was maybe like a very uh, nitpicky type of thing to think about is maybe I won't uh, pick the ones that are growing next to this electric pole because those things are usually treated with creosote and that Sips and in, seeps into the ground, and there's there's something bad in it. I think that uh, the plants can absorb. Not a huge deal, but might as well pick the ones that aren't next to it. This is this will be the first nettle pesto of the season for me and I'm really looking forward to it. If I'm if I'm really a good guy, maybe I'll maybe I'll post some pictures of making the pesto in the community section later. I can't, I'm not making any promises though. Ow. Ow. That's just my ankle rubbing against a nettle. Ow. If I, if I maintain the motivation to take pictures while I'm making the pesto, then I'll, I'll put it in the community tab. But all you have to know is you just make it the same way that you would make basil pesto. You just, you know, find any recipe for 
uh, basil pesto and then just use nettles instead or use partially nettles and partially basil or use garlic mustard or chickweed. Maybe put a little extra garlic in there since uh, and uh, if you want to not use dairy uh, you can use nutritional yeast instead of cheese which I like to do I'm not vegan but I don't like to eat a lot of dairy now now we're now I'm now I'm talking about my life and that's interesting I almost never do anything like that but for some reason for some reason at this moment it seems accept acceptable to relate to you in that manner Maybe that means I'm getting lax. Ow! But I still feel... I guess content enough that that belongs in this video is it is that some kind of maybe this is some kind of like uh, reward you could say hey somebody else picked those nettles see Or some, or uh, somebody ate them. Like a, I, I don't know if deers can eat nettles. I don't know if they can do that. They're so stingy. Maybe this is like some kind of like mild in, indulgence of. Um, Indulgence in the meaning of the more conventionally practical realm of existence that I've maybe gravitated towards um, after spending a period resisting that. So maybe, maybe it, maybe it occurs as a, a slight reward for you as well, as a viewer. Like a slight respite in the world of relating to a person as a person with a personality and identity and traits and uh, habits and such. 
I've lost track a little bit of the time. Okay, I remember roughly when I started, when I looked at the clock and, but not exactly. And the uh, video stopped a couple of times, maybe for not longer than a couple of minutes, I'm sure. But I know that we're getting towards the end. I'm just going to keep picking nettles here. And some some garlic mustard as well. It's pretty, uh, I know it's like, uh, I know I'm kind of like, um, I definitely could be perceived as like emotionally cold, I think. Or, uh, like maybe this, like I think this video could be perceived as kind of cold or something. And, I'm not sure like maybe like like my tone of voice or something is is uh maybe maybe so far in this video has been kind of like a kind of formal uh and and maybe maybe kind of just slightly emotionless and and analytical it's you know so analytical of my emotions but with like such a distance from my emotions I won't necessarily, I won't necessarily make a judgment of that now. I mean, uh, like I was talking so much about, about kind of resisting any kind of emotional like gratification, like I was talking about. And like, right now I'm kind of wondering like, now like that, the importance of that resistance is coming into question. Like, like is it, is it somehow problematic if I like, if I start to take on a more personable and friendly um, persona, not, not just persona, but just like uh, attitude or, you know, countenance. And I guess in this moment, I can't see any problem with that. And I also, I can't see any problem with just, uh, with picking nettles and, and talking about picking nettles.
or even with even even um, you know talking about practical things like how to make nettle pesto oh by the way uh, sometimes I steam the nettles before I blend it up in the pesto you just steam it like a little bit because that totally gets rid of the sting before you blend it um, and so if you want to do it this the kind of like safer way you can do that but I've also found that I've just done it raw in the blender and as long as it gets like blend up very blended up very thoroughly and I also put like a little bit of salt you know I put like all lots of olive oil a lot of garlic uh, some nuts you can use most kinds of nuts work fine I like walnuts and almonds um, pine nuts are really good but they're really expensive so I usually don't do that um, nutritional yeast and a little bit of salt and uh, sometimes a little lemon juice is really nice in there maybe a little bit of black pepper but that's you know totally optional and then just blend it up really well But yeah, you can do it raw. You can, I can put it in raw too, and I haven't been stung by that as long as it gets blended up thoroughly. But if you want to be extra safe because you don't necessarily trust eating this plant that stings you, uh, you can just steam it first, and then you'll see that there's no more sting after that. Ow. I guess it's that sometimes, sometimes I feel uh, a strong need to assert my own autonomy from uh, being pressured to to maintain a, a chipper appearance and uh, like uh, like a superficially uh, superficially positive outlook on things but I guess so long as I uh, have asserted that autonomy then there's no problem really with like <clears throat> being a bit more relaxed in some way right now. And I genuinely feel like goodwill towards you in this moment as in like uh, you know from from this experience of feeling like really like pretty pretty relatively like unagitated uh, 
from that experience, I'd, I have a desire for you to also experience that. Uh, but at, at the same time, I might have said the same thing like last episode, but on the same token, uh, I just want to assure you that if you're, you're not feeling the same way that I'm feeling, and you're feeling difficult emotions and agitation, that, uh, then I just want to reassure you that they'll, they will pass and that like even even to the extent that you um, don't like seek to Im immediately run away from them and avoid them or, or like immediately like change your experience and you like al allow yourself to kind of sit with those that unpleasant feelings like uh, it, it may have a, a a, a positive impact on you in the long run and you may grow in a way that helps you to to experience less and less unpleasantness in the future and so that's kind of my way of saying like uh it's kind of my way of like reassuring you that you don't really need my reassurance. And also that, also that you don't really need my thinking either. You don't need this video. You don't need to, you don't need to like be like me. Unless you want to. You want to pick, you probably want to pick more nettles than you think you need uh, because they'll like, they'll really reduce a lot in volume when you cook them and when you blend them. You can really like pack a lot of leaves into one batch of pesto.
There's some medium small turtles. Sometimes I wonder, like, uh, if I'm even talking enough, like, uh, or I wonder, like, in the in the moments when I'm not talking, like, <clears throat> I might be feeling feeling something and thinking something, and and maybe just like thinking that that you might be feeling or thinking the same thing or something similar but I don't ever really know how much is expressed or how much is transmitted by these videos it might it might be impossible to really know but when people leave comments sometimes those comments seem to indicate that that they had that they understood something that I was thinking or feeling or that that what was transmitted to them is was also true to what I was experiencing and that is uh, that produces a, a good feeling for me that's that's uh, emotionally gratifying for me. So maybe you shouldn't do it. <laughs> well, it depends on how much, depends on how much emotional gratification you want to provide me with. I always have, I don't, I don't have to read the comments. <laughs> <laughs>